five one link is anybody put that? Oh yeah, several times, yeah. So I'm still practicing to try and figure out uh, yeah. <laughs> especially if they're multilingual. <laughs> Man, yeah. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with his commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with the words of Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Yisrael, so that we, our offspring and the descendants of your people, the family of Yisrael, all of us, may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah, lishma, or for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations of the world to give us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. I put on the uh, whiteboard there the, uh, the book that uh, Rick had mentioned in one of his emails to me recently. And it's uh, The Jewish Gospels by Daniel Boyerin and... Uh, I downloaded the uh, from iBooks the preview of the book and was so impressed with just the, the preface and the few pages that I read uh, that I downloaded it. It's available on Amazon for about eleven ninety nine, but if you get the iBooks version, it's only nine ninety nine. Uh, so three days, easy read. But he goes through. He's a Jew and uh, not a Christian, as far as I can tell. And he went through in uh, in a nutshell first that uh, he believed, believes that uh, Christianity was simply a sect of Judaism, not a new religion. Uh, well, certainly we would agree with that. And uh, he goes to demonstrate that by proving that many of the tenets of Christianity are actually beliefs that Jews held in the days of the Master, long before there was a separation of the Gentile church. He uses Mark uh, chapter 7, 9, and 2. He uses the, the Gospel of Mark as being the, the youngest gospel and uh, probably the, the greatest source for the synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew um, and Luke. And then uh, he uses Daniel chapter 7. So uh, he's, he's very compelling. Great read, nice and easy. Um, as Rick said in his email, he's uh, looking at this issue from an academic standpoint, and we may not agree with everything he concludes, but it is a great read, and I would recommend it. Uh, his second point was that uh, aside from the beginnings being Jewish and being thought that way, uh, he, he uses uh, uh, some questions like, no, why do you suppose so many Jews decided to follow this? You think it was because it was a brand new concept? Or something that they were expecting and looking forward to? And he demonstrates that they were, in fact, expecting it and looking forward to it. Uh, so it's a, it's a great read. Uh, his, I'm sorry? Any like, uh, commonalities between that and the other work uh, what the rabbis know about the science? It was similar to that, but this was strictly a scholarly paper to say, hey, you know what, I got, I've got a couple of points here that might you know, burst your bubble. One, Christianity was a sect of Judaism. Two, most of the things that we think Ju Christianity came up with were actually part of Judaism. And three, hey, you know what, Jesus kept the Torah. He kept kosher. Of course you did, yes. Yes. From Son of God to Son of Man, Son of Man in First Enoch and Fourth Ezra. Yes, yeah. Who's read that one recently, huh? Jesus kept kosher. Of course. The suffering Christ as a midrash on Daniel. Yeah. And he is, that's his whole, that's the majority of the book is his focus on Daniel chapter 7. Does everybody uh, understand what Daniel chapter 7 talks about? Let's turn to that uh, in your Bibles, if you would. And let's just take a look real quick. Uh, 
We're going to turn to Daniel chapter 7. Interestingly, he has a uh, take on the uh, on the timing of Daniel to be at about 168 before the Common Era, which I find to be extraordinarily late. He's got it down here right before the Maccabees, and and of course then he's thinking, well, the Maccabees would have read this and understood it, it would have... It would have appear to be talking about them because it was right before they acted. Um, I don't agree with that. I think we can have a, a, a Daniel, um, you know, somewhere around the 400-500 era, era and, and still do well. Uh, and everything he says still applies. I just think it was earlier, but uh, that's okay. Check out uh, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head pure, uh, or like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. That sounds like a judgment type of thing and ancient of days just a white haired God sitting on the throne verse 11 I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking as I looked the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire as for the rest of the beast their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time he skips over that and moves then into verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So I'm going to write that down uh, just so that we've, uh, we've got our major points here. Clouds of heaven. What does that remind you of? That reminds me of what Messiah said before the high priest. What did he say? Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly or not. Right. Behold, I tell you that you shall see the Son of Man coming. On the clouds of heaven. Well, that's exactly what this Jewish man brings forth. He says, that's what Jesus talked about. He calls him Jesus, not Yeshua. I can work with that. The clouds of heaven. Where else might I think about the clouds of heaven? Wow, you are just hot tonight. Exactly. Acts chapter 1, we see the Master gathering his disciples on the 40th day of the Omer. And he says, I'm leaving. He raises, he lifts his hands, which we saw in our last portion is a a euphemism for giving the ironic blessing. And he was lifted up before them. And left in the clouds of heaven, and the angel shows up and says, Yo, men of Galilee, close your mouths. Why are you standing there gaping up at the sky? This same Jesus who was taken will in likewise manner return. The second thing that we saw here in this text, clouds of heaven and the Son of Man. And i got to tell you, if there's anything I enjoyed about this book, it was... Boyeran's treatment of two terms that we see all the time in the Gospels. One is Son of Man, and the other one was Son of God. So I'll get into that in just a second about what he says. There came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He was given dominion over all peoples forever. I think you'd agree that those are the the three main points in Daniel chapter 7. Well, Boyerin takes these and just runs with them and says, well, hang on a second. 
you've got what appears to be a young godlike figure taking over for a an older godlike figure that seems to be out of uh, some type of mythology and whatnot. But you definitely have in this chapter two thrones. And apparently two gods or two godlike figures. He says this guy's got dominion over all peoples. So he seems to apparently be physical in nature in that he's going to rule over them. So he's just working it for all it's worth, and you're like, oh, yeah, go, go! This is great! And he said, well, this is before the Master showed up on the scene. And we read in the Gospels, are, are you going to bring your kingdom now? Are you going to throw out these Roman guys? Are you going to take over? Are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for? So he's, he's saying, well, wait a second. This, this stuff that Daniel's all about here is stuff that is part and parcel in Judaism when Yeshua shows up. It's not explaining Yeshua after the fact, as most of the scholars would say. So I, I encourage you. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy book to, to read, and you'll probably enjoy it. Yes, sir? Okay. So you have the one of ancient days, and then you also have one like a man, which is Messiah, King Messiah. And you have, like for the church, it's always like, oh, there's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. And you you saw big time the Shekinah in Shemini this past Shabbat as we studied the portion. And then we look here, and it seems, when I read it, like there's two entities. So how, how would you... I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means taking the attributes of man and applying them to God. But, but what? How would I what? How would you... Okay, so if we're supposed to, if we were to describe that the Father and the Son are really the same... Being. Being, right. But it's described as two... It sure is. On two different it sure is. Examples. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Yeah. That's a great question. Let me know when you get an answer. Can I, can I say something? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's seven spirits, but clearly you see the same thing in Revelation, right? We see that the Father is passing, as it were, the baton to the Son and giving Him dominion, and He's going to put all nations and His enemies at as His footstool. You know, that kind of thing. So, I, my, my point in this is to say, Judaism was okay with having two persons, if it, as it were, of the Godhead. And how they dealt with that, we can deal with it as well. But he's using Daniel 7 to say, hey, this, this is not in their side of the Bible. It's in our side of the Bible. And Jews need to deal with this. And he points out some, some, some poignant things. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because Oh yeah, I, and, and he goes through some of the some of the machinations that they go through. Um, I do want to point out, Son of Man, Son of God, and Son of Man is used a lot in Mark. Son of God is used a lot in Matthew, and the Church has taught us, and uh, Boyerin goes through this, that Son of Man is focusing on Yeshua's humanity and Son of God is focusing on His divinity. Exactly. Well, Boyron takes that to task and says, well, maybe they're not reading the book. I mean, that's just absolutely backwards. Because if you look at the text and if you look at Judaism, he says, Son of Man is absolutely 100% in Jewish literature and in the Bible a title for God. Not man. A title for God. And what does Yeshua call himself more often than not? The Son of Man. That you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Yeah, right? What's he saying? I'm God. 
That's where Boyron's coming from. Son of God being a, a title for divinity, he says, no, that, no, 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 no. That's completely wrong. He says, if you look in the scriptures, if you look at Jewish literature, Son of God was actually the title given to David's seed that would sit on the throne. A human, a human Messiah. He's the Son of God. Human. So he says, I'm just a Jew, but it seems that the church has it backwards. And he goes through it, and it is a great and easy read. If you get into some odd spots there, you can just breeze through it. So anyway, highly recommend it. I'll put a picture of it on the, on the website here soon. Um, but great stuff. Mark using Son of Man, um, and he's, uh, he's tying the Son of Man and this whole Daniel 7 vision to make it clear Yeshua is making no bones about it. I'm that second one that you see in the Daniel 7 vision. And he's alluding to it constantly, according to Boyerin. And uh, when he's in front of the high priest, he says, you shall see the Son of Man coming in glory. Coming on the clouds. On the clouds. With great glory. glory. Well, or not great glory, but with great uh, glory. That's right. Um, this this humanity thing that we see in Son of Man, it, well, it's it's a divinity thing. Why else would the high priest have then just torn his garment and said, "That's blasphemy"? What what more do we have need to hear? I mean, we're done. He called himself the Son of Man. So he also goes through the uh, a little bit through the uh, I am uh, moniker that the Master uses a couple of times. So anyway, it was a great read and. I just feel so much better about where we're at. Practicing Jew? Yeah, he is. <laughs> now, I, I tell you what, what'll what'll grab you on the on the book is is actually the intro from another Jewish guy who says, "Yikes, you've you've got some you've got some serious rethinking to do when you read Daniel's book, and it it, it is good stuff." Oh, okay, it's good to see. Daniel and Daniel. That's exactly right. All right. So we move on from that. And what I want to talk about tonight in our first hour is how to determine what's right and wrong. Because I think that we have a mission and I'm... I just want to make sure we're clear on the mission. So, I'm uh, I'm going to ask you now to just take a moment. First, generically, I believe that each one of us has a mission that's the same as the guy sitting next to us. And I wonder, would you raise your hand if you agree that we all have a fairly similar mission. This has nothing to do with whether you're tall, short, skinny, fat, kids who climb on rocks, fat kids, skinny kids, you know, all that. That has nothing to do with that, right? All I'm talking about is as guys who are believers in Messiah Yeshua, do we all have a similar goal or mission in life? Yes. 100%. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask if we can just go around the room and just quickly take a moment Focus and tell me in a nutshell. I don't need a, I, I definitely don't want a paragraph. I'm talking sentence or less. What is that mission? That our deeds would align with our words and that both would align with the Word of God. Deeds, words, Word of God. I'm going to write that down. Deeds equal. Word of God. Deeds and what? Words. Just the Deeds, words, word of God. Okay? I like that. I think we can do better. Uh, from my perspective, the mission is to strive to be Zadikim and to sanctify the name. Ah! 
sanctify the name. Uh, of course, of course. Now, does anybody have anything different? Ken? To model Messiah. Model Messiah. First to our, our, our family. Don't, don't, don't get crazy on me. Model Messiah. I think you're right too. But so, so yes. Ryan says, "Shine the light." Shine, let it shine. Good. I like it. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Combination of the last two. Combination of the last two. Okay. Your mileage may vary. But this is exactly what I would expect you to say. In fact, I would argue that if, if you're not there in whatever phrase, phraseology you want to choose, if you're not there, something's wrong. Would you agree? If, if this is not your focus, then you're off-center. Something's, something's out of balance. To please my wife in all ways. That's a lovely sentiment. That's great. And I, especially if you're married to one of my daughters, I think that's really great. But you know what? It just shouldn't be top shelf. Your ability to make your wife very happy may in fact be a part of doing one of these. But I would submit that the way the sages put it is to sanctify the name of the Lord throughout all the earth. That's that's the way they put it. That's how they summarized it. Is that modeling Messiah? Well, you bet. Um, would they say that? Probably not. But sure, if we recognize that Yeshua is the Son of Man and therefore divine, then by definition, you do one, you do the other, right? Exactly, right? And shining the light. The light of what? The light of the Word of God? The light of Messiah? The light of the world? Well then, yeah, right? So we're doing a deal. And as, as Greg's already said, that the deeds of ourselves would match the deeds of the Torah, the words of the Torah, the Word of God, and He is the living Word of God, and we're sanctifying the name of God. Alright, so. Um, that being the case, then I would submit to you that our lives should be at all times, in every way, in every place, at every time. An example of what's in the Torah. Do you agree with that? I mean, that may sound bizarre. That may sound a little over the top. Do you agree with that? What I'm saying is that in everything you do, everywhere you do it, in everything you say at every time that you say it, there should without question be a, a, a living Torah. Why? Doesn't that line up with exactly what we said here? Well, if that's the case, gentlemen, then it's not only extraordinarily important to know the Word of God so that you may walk and speak the Word of God, but I think that you should be able to defend the Word of God. And I don't mean actively. I'm not talking about sparring. I'm not talking about uh, getting into debate or argument in, a, in the good way, right? I'm, I'm talking about standing up and making it clear you disagree. So if you're at the water cooler and, you know, there's, there's talk going on about so-and-so, and he's effeminate. He's, as they say, gay. I think it's our responsibility, as awkward as it may seem, especially at work, to make it clear that it's anything but gay, and it's sad. That's not easy, but I think it's important that we do that. So, I question in my own mind, why don't more guys do that? 
I've only come up with two reasons. The third one I've discounted out of hand. The first reason is they don't know it's wrong. Hence the title of the class, that's not right. They don't know it's wrong. They don't know what God's word says about it because maybe like Ken, they're new to this Torah walk and they haven't been through a whole Torah cycle yet. So they haven't seen from Genesis to Deuteronomy, from Bereshit to Devarim, what God's word actually says about it because those are probably the five books we read the least in professional Christendom. Option two. What is option two? A fear of man. They don't want to step up. Yeah. Well, well, so what did the master say? Wait, wait. I, I know I read something like that. If you're, if you're, let's see, uh, something I'm going to do with me, then I will be with you, and I can live in the kingdom. And, 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 I, I, you know, something like that's coming to mind, and I'm just wondering, you know? Also, too. So, please remember the things of God. So. Was option three that it was illegal? <laughs> <laughs> that's good, son. No, option three was you don't have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and why would you actually step up anyway? Because you're actually just with them. You're just faking yourself out or your family and trying to make it seem that you have a relationship with the creator. But, in fact, you don't. When I was growing up, possibly when, uh, when Greg was growing up, there were fighting words that would get every guy to go. I mean, he... I mean, the fists start to be made, and he's pulling back the arm ready to throw. And it was universal. It didn't matter whether you were Puerto Rican, Italian, Irish. It didn't matter. Especially if you were in New York. You had to talk about one topic, and the guy's ready to punch you in the face. What was that topic? Your mother! You talk about my mom, I will kill you! That's as simple as that! I really believe that if we own Messiah, and if we love him like we love our own mother, I, yeah, I think he said something like that. Wait a minute. That we would want to come to fisticuffs over that. So my desire tonight, when you take your coffee break at the end of this first hour, is that you are just fired up to go out there and pick a fight for Messiah. Now, I don't think you need to actually throw the fist. But I think one of the saddest things for our master, and one of the saddest things as a man who's watching other men, is to see an opportunity lost. I've had the, the privilege of... of uh, debriefing with my family on a regular basis. It's a regular thing for the Squitcherini family. Whether we go out as a family or my kids go out as a group, um, they know that there's going to be a debrief. We're going to sit on the couch as a family and we're going to talk about how it went. I, one of our most recent ones, we had the privilege of being invited over to the Upham home uh, for the Meal of Messiah. Outstanding. What a, what a wonderful event. I still owe you a thank you card, by the way. Um, but when we got home, it was way too late. It was way too late. But the next morning, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't that late for them. That's right. But, you know, we went to bed. But the next morning, we got up, and the kids knew. I mean, they grabbed their coffee, came right in here. They knew. We're going to debrief. And we're going to talk about it. We're not talking about people. We're talking about the event. We're talking about the Upham family and how they're just over the top with hospitality and how wonderful and, and receiving they are when you appear in their home and uh, how together they were and how deftly you know, Mr. Upham manages to not only read the scripture but be cool at the same time. I mean, we're talking about all of it. I mean, it's just great stuff, you know? And, and then we... Then we look at each other and our own behavior and how we, we were a good representation of Messiah or we brought a good name and a good report to our own family and so forth. This is important. 
and I've, I've had the privilege of having these type of debriefs after my children get home and, and we find out you know, that uh, there may have been uh, a rogue or some vagabond that uh, put his sights on one of my daughters and my son was there to step up where the girls worked together to defend the honor of the daughter and so forth, you know, these types of things. I'm thrilled to hear that. And it, <laughs> hooligans come to mind as well. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, you know, I've, I've, always, I've, I've also experienced where I've had disappointment that no one stepped up, no one corrected, no one, no one said to the hooligan, wait a second. You're talking to my sister. You're talking about my sister. You're talking about my daughter. You know, the reason you can't breathe is because I'm clasping your throat so firmly that I need to make sure I have your attention. Whatever it may be. Uh, but you get, you get the drift. And I really want us to be able to step up and be known for the company we keep and the master we serve. If we can't do that, and if we don't do that, we choose not to do that, then our deeds aren't worth a crap. Sorry for those in Gastonia. And quite frankly, I think we bring shame to the gospel. I I really think that's what that is. We bring shame to the gospel. So I'd like to ask you, if we all agree on the mission, how do we determine what's right and wrong or what we would... I don't want to say fight for. What would we stand up and be counted for? Because you all know it. I'm sure you know it. You make that stand one time at work, it's over. You got the rep. Not the job. But you now, now you now you yeah it could be. But you've been you've been marked. And you've got the reputation. Yeah, they're going to whisper about you, whatever it may be. Now, I think there's a sanctifying work that happens there. And I, I know that some of you may know that. If you don't know it yet, you should, that folks begin to stop telling the dirty jokes when you're around. They clean up their profanity when you're around and stuff like that. Right? So I, that's, that's the stuff. Now, a little pause in a, in a moment of uh, testimony. Uh, about my poor life uh, and before committing my life to Messiah. I'm disappointed to tell you that um, there were many times where I yearned for a new job and looked forward to new beginnings and new opportunities to start my reputation afresh in companies because I had already stooped low and had failed to sanctify the name of God. I'm ashamed to tell you that. That there were times when I looked forward to leaving these places so that I might start afresh with a high standard based on that high calling we have in Messiah Yeshua, as Paul tells us about. And you may be there now. And I want to tell you that now that I wear an older man's clothes, I can tell you that even if you've damaged your reputation and associated yourself with the ungodly, you can start afresh. My father-in-law tells a story which he's given me permission to tell you about uh, where he met a man who was a believer and uh, he happened upon him many, many years, five, ten years after they had worked together. And this man wanted to share Messiah with him. Sadly, when he was sharing Messiah with him at work, my father-in-law was already a believer, but this man didn't know it. That's sad. That's a sad commentary on a walk. And maybe that's happened to you. But this is a growing opportunity where we can move forward in sanctification in our faith and not have to worry about these kind of things. We put those, we just lay them aside. 
they, as Paul says, that's behind me. I'm, I'm stepping forward for the high calling. Right? So, yes, sir. I just wanted to point out your uh, a chance to honor my father with blessed memory um, that he had begun to notice the change in my life. So much so to the point where he erroneously, uh, albeit flatteringly, began to tell people that, oh, you don't say that around my preacher's son, Johnny. You don't, you don't use foul language. You don't tell dirty jokes. And, and he was very adamant with people about that. Praise God. You know, and he had, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, you know, he had told people that, you know, that's, you know, I don't know if he was picking or if he was, you know, just, he just didn't know any better, but, you know, because based about on my conversation topics and how I like to discuss scripture and talk about things like that with him, he, for some reason, thought I was a preacher. Praise God. Uh, and, uh, just but that's the box, that's the box you painted for him, right? I mean, you're Caruso. Amen. It should almost make you smile when you when you hear them talking behind back. Oh, you don't want to see this. It almost instead of being like, oh, they're talking behind my back, it's almost like kind of smile inside. Yeah, it's encouraging. I always go up to the person. I try and find the person who said it. Put my hand on their shoulder and say, "I really appreciate that. Thanks." Because they're just protecting you, which is great. So we start tonight with homosexuality. It's probably the most prevalent of uh, topics in, uh, at the water cooler. And uh, I just wonder, first off, do you believe that hom- homosexuality is something that we should agree with? Well, if you agree with something, you pretty much support it. Should we support it? No. Okay. Why do you say that? Because God doesn't support it. Now, I expected that to be the natural response in this crowd. But I would submit that maybe there are men here, maybe some of you, that can't demonstrate that quickly and easily. So I want to know, how'd you get there? Now, I realize that that's part of what community is all about. I don't think you're going to stand around me very long before especially if this topic comes up, you don't realize exactly where I stand. Now, you may not know where Ryan stands because he tends to be more of a gentleman than me. He doesn't speak unless spoken to. He's a godly man, and I respect him for that. I'm the mouth, which is why I'm standing up here and Ryan's not. But you will know where I stand on that topic, will you not? Okay. So I want to know how do we determine that? Because I would submit that if you, as a Torah-centered believer in Messiah Yeshua, look for the word homosexuality in your blessed Torah, you won't find it, will you? No, you won't, will you? Not the word. But that's how you're going to try and find it, isn't it? You're going to search for homosexual, and you're not going to find it in the Torah. In fact, you're only going to find it in two places in the entire Bible both of which are in the apostolic writings, none of which are in the Gospels. I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that you're weighing your texts, right? You've got the Torah, then you've got the prophets, and then you've got the writings. And the writings would include not only the writings in the Tanakh, but also the writings in the apostolic scriptures. Now, you may choose to have the Gospels maybe a little lower on that food chain than the writings, but you're either going to deal with Corinthians or Timothy. So you got a letter to a pastor, and you got a letter to a church that's having a lot of problems. So how are you going to find it? Right. Well, it's in, it's listed in the forbidden relationships. It's in the Torah. Right. I know it's in the Torah, but you can't find it searching for homosexuality. Okay. So now what are you going to do? Women with women. And Romans 1. Parsha and men with, you know, Romans 1 is just a kind of an experience. Sure it is, but I don't want to start in Romans. But, but I guess I'm not sure where you are. are you How? Sure? I'm, I'm, I'm a noob. Okay, so from a 
So somebody who doesn't know. I'm a noob. I haven't been. Like, we're just going to use Ken as our example of a noob, right? He hasn't been through the Torah cycle one full time yet. So I know we didn't hit this yet. We're only in Shemini. So he gets hit up with that homosexuality question as he leaves the door tonight. So he gets home, starts to study. What does he look at? How does he find it? Okay, now that's a yeoman's task. But I tell you what, he'll get the answer if he just starts reading, won't he? If he starts at Genesis and just starts reading. And of course, he's reading the portions with us now. So he just finished Shemini. So he doesn't have to start at Genesis. He can already start at Leviticus. What are we up to? 20, 21? So he's already halfway through the Torah anyway. So he'll find it. But that's probably not the best way. I want you to give me two or three things that he can use on a regular basis to find any topic. Google. <laughs> that's not one of them. Thank you, son. Absolutely. I would say wise counsel. Now, I'm not even going to get into how do we choose wise counselors. That's a completely different class. But I believe that this man brought this man. So your first call should be to this man. Text, telephone, whatever you kids use, doesn't matter to me. But you should be saying, hey, homosexuality, what's the dealio? (laughs) He should come back with, you need to read the Torah in this spot. Man shall not lie with man if they do. It's an abomination. And we should... Stone, stone. (laughs) Bam! That's good! I would suggest, since Johnny and I have seen this movie already, he would probably then bring, bring to light a word in the text. Abomination, in fact, which he's already mentioned. And he'll probably bring that up for a reason. Because he's not just going to give you an answer. Exactly. He's going to teach you to fish. He's going to give you a little bit more. Why would you bring up abomination, Johnny? Well, if it's an abomination in the sight of God, then it should definitely be an abomination in the sight of us. Excellent. Ken? Peter? Or God detested. Yes! The same word is used... For swine. Swine is an abomination. So. Moral high ground. We're going to give up the moral high ground on homosexuality if we continue to violate the kosher laws. Because if swine was an abomination, but it's not anymore, then neither is homosexuality. Ah. Precisely. But he doesn't use that abomination word about a lot of things. But that's a biggie. If you can take swine and homosexuality and tie them together, you've got a pretty good argument for keeping kosher. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. So I think Ken's got the wise counsel one now. What else would you recommend to Ken? What's he going to do? You can hit Google. I want to use that as a, an absolute last resort. Well, at least you might find the book it's located in. Okay. So, um, can, we, can we put down uh, Google with uh, uh, key phrases? Okay, now you'd be, I think that's great. And the whole knowing the actual term sodomite for homosexual is, is good. 
many people don't know that. Um, but that's a great thing. Um, just as a side note, you may be interested to, uh, to uh, find that the sages aren't focused on the homosexuality at all on Sodom and Amora, but rather their, their evil eye, the stinginess, and their, their, uh, yeah, their inability to practice hospitality and so forth. Anyway, um, I would say Google with a focus or, or with a, a mindset to, to, to just use it as a launching pad to say, well, gosh, homosexuality is wrong because of this, 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 because you may bump into the one in the Torah that says that man shall not lie with man. What's one of the... Another really, really good steps. Memorize. That's always good. That's always good. Yes, thank you very much. That man's my son-in-law. Cross-references. Now, I would also throw in there the commentary... Because if you've got any decent Bible, whether it's uh, one that has Rashi's commentary, Ramban's, whatever it may be, you're going to find some commentary that's going to talk about that, but certainly the cross-references are going to help. So even if you only find the stuff when you search for the word homosexual or homosexuality, and you only find the two references in the apostolic scriptures that use that actual term, you're going to see some cross-references that are going to bring you back to the Torah, even though the church doesn't believe it applies. Cross-references well, are great. They might say that. Oh, yeah, they might. That's in the moral. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, some of, how many of you have that highlighted Bible that has all the moral law highlighted in green and all of the ceremonial law highlighted in blue? Nobody's got that one yet? Okay. That's what's already read. Did they highlight when it says, if you don't keep Yom Kippur, you'll be cut off? <laughs> Cut off, is that green? Or... <laughs> That's right. That's right. What, what, what concept is that? Exactly right. Does this make sense? Okay. So, I don't need you to open your Bibles now. I just want you to, off the top, gently and quietly, I want you to, I want you to be Sagacious. I want you to act like a sage. I want you to give me one statement. We're reading the Pirkei vote every Shabbat. Six more, five more chapters for the total of the six. And we'll be at Shavuot as we read these uh, principles from the, from the sages. We, we, we get these, these one-liners that, man, you just want to write home about. I mean, it's, gosh, that's... <laughs> I, love, I, I want to have it on some kind of a, you know, poster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just great, you know. So when I say debt, what comes to mind, my sage? That we would not want to be a slave to the lender. When I talk about gossip and slander, my sage... You don't have to quote. Just tell me what you think. Gossip and slander. Um, it's uh, not good to gossip and slander. Amen. When I talk about not caring for the poor in our community, my sage. When I talk about not caring for widows. My sage. Ties to the widows and the orphans in your community. Outstanding. When I talk about. Let's run it out of the easy. Provi- <laughs> <laughs> Tithing mint cumin. No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I talk about uh, practicing hospitality. When I talk about um, finding a t- <laughs> finding a teacher, my sage. 
the sages say you should find one. In fact, uh, which sage was it? <laughs> this past week. Says, you should find a teacher. There we go. And a friend. And a friend, yes. So, I, I believe that as training tzadikim, training righteous ones, that we should be able to pontificate, even if it's just a sentence, on every topic known to man. I really believe that. We need to make a decision. We need to get off the fence. We need to poop, get off the pot. Something. But we need to be able to say something about every single topic. And I would go so far as to say that if you're walking out your faith, that everyone around you, including and especially your family, should know exactly where you stand on every one of those topics. Now, to uh, defer to my uh, sagacic sagacic friend, um, it's probably wise to preface your comments with, my current understanding is, um, (laughs) lest you find yourself, as we all have, uh, teaching... 180 degrees out from uh, where you may be today. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? I would like to see us challenge one another on that. Because if I pick biblical concepts, I'm sure most of you will do fine. But suppose we do choose a topic like gun control. So let's. Gun control. Strictly from a believing, Torah-centered person, what would your comments be on gun control? So what do you mean by gun control? Like the government um, controls? Gun control would be, yes, the government controlling guns, not using a two-handed grip, which is also gun, gun control. control. Yeah. <laughs> The government controlling who can own firearms, when and under what circumstances, and when they can carry them and defend themselves. Your comments on gun control from a biblical perspective. I think we should have the right to bear arms. Well, we don't really care what you think. Tell me what the scripture says. Yeah. Okay, that was hunting. That's not so. That's not. That's not. Well, they didn't have. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not. Defending ourselves. Your point is right on the money, Ken. Well, but Torah, give me a biblical well, reason. Torah says if somebody's breaking in your house, you must. You have the right. In fact, I, th- you know, I think I read something about this, but the thief cannot come in and kill and destroy unless he has first bound the strong man. The strong man, the strong man who has no gun. Exactly correct. Okay. So that, I mean, but that was really completely gunless, right? I mean, I mean, you could. You could I mean, the you point that he made is that we should be able to defend ourselves, and biblically, that is a correct statement. Now, if you choose to do it with a gun, okay, that's fine. I'm not saying these are right or wrong. I'm just asking for some kind of response. That's all. Yes. Well, going off of being able to defend yourselves, and all more things. And of course, you must be reading a Tanakh. If if it says he armed his, if he says he armed his disciples, because that was the word of God. They were going to. Oh yeah. Well, I think another uh, point to that same comment would be as we read um, in the apostolic writings last week about Malkitzedek, right? It said when he came back from the slaughter, when Avram came back from the slaughter of the four kings, right, or five kings, he slaughtered them. They definitely were armed. Good point. I like it. Do you see what we're doing? Yes, sir. What's interesting is... This is a former Texan. I just want to make that clear. In the... This may be a slight rabbit trail, but in the Bible, there's a reference to Avram being the father of the Jews. 
Yom Suf. Uh, there's a detail in there that often gets overlooked. Was it in the movie? No. Uh, that's why. <laughs> sure. It says that. It says in the in the account. It says that the children of Israel had arms. Mm. But in that particular instance, they didn't use them because God Himself mm. fought on their behalf. Yes. But they were armed. Good. Excellent. So we've got arms. The Levites were armed in the temple because they were to repel intruders, those that would defile the sanctity of the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, you know, you should be able to do this, right? But you're not, you're not saying, I should be able to carry a Glock on my hip. That's not what you're saying. You're just pointing out that the ability to arm oneself, the necessity to bear arms, the necessity to defend oneself or to redeem is is a biblical concept. Yes, yes, sir. I, I would put forward that the the right to bear arms uh, is probably a biblical one, but the the anti-gun control argument would not be a scriptural one, but a rational one. I think you, you can take that one with logic. But you're probably not going to find a whole lot of support scripture. So uh, let me see if I understand where you're coming from, my former son. That uh, <laughs> that the the anti-gun proponents. No, no, no. The an- the anti-gun control people. That's us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That that I don't think you're going to find a scriptural scriptural backing for the government shouldn't be able to control whether we have guns or not. That's a logical argument. Because the logic argument is pretty basic in that we should be able to have guns. But it's not really in Scripture. That I'm, was my, my point. What's not in Scripture? That the government shouldn't be able to regulate whether we have Ah, so the government involved with gun control, your thinking is not in the Scripture. I'm not, I don't Stay with us. We can come back to that. It'll probably be a one-on-one session. But yes, I think we can work with that. Um, in fact, I would go so far as to say that the uh, prince, if you follow the prince through Ezekiel and so forth, you'll see that there's actually some providing of arms and whatnot. But that's, but that's a good point. It's, oh, it's, it's not. Yes, 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 sir. Although, the example of the Levain being armed in the temple guard, mm-hmm. I, I can make the argument that that's, that's true, no question about it, but they were a form of authority, if you will. Sure. A militia, if you will. So, so it's appropriate for the appropriate authorities to be armed for the protection of a, a venue or society. Good. Yes. Absolutely. So, you see what we're doing? What we're doing is just bringing out these scriptures and, and going back and forth about what they say. Do you know what that's like? sitting down and just discussing various scriptures and how they may apply in a particular context or for a particular topic. What is that called? That's what we do here, here, but it was done 2,000 years ago. The the Talmud is is volumes, about 72 volumes of the rabbis doing exactly that. That's it. That's what the Talmud is. The Mishnah says, this is the way we're going to do things. And the Gomorrah, the discussions about it, are what we're doing right now. Now, lest you misunderstand, if you haven't gone through at least two Torah cycles, this is straight out of my guidance, at least two Torah cycles, and haven't read the entire scripture from Genesis all the way to the maps at least twice, get your butt out of the Talmud and get your butt back into the Bible. You need to know the Word of God before you can look at commentary about the Word of God and how to keep it. Amen? Amen. Great. Well, I enjoyed this very much. It is sad to find out where Peter stands on gun control. but uh, No, I thought you might take that wrong. And then Mr. Upham said something more further about bearing arms. 
which was my original point, was that scripture is full of the idea of bearing arms and possibly even our right to do so. But the specific idea of gun control, the government controlling whether or not we have guns, I don't think you find a whole lot of whether our government, in a theocracy, it, that goes back to my rational argument, because it's you're not going to find it in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. And, and, and I, am, I am only messing with Peter, as you guys, I hope, know. Um, his willingness to share openly is one of the things I love about him. Um, so, uh, you may be right. But we would need a whole class to determine that. And it would be fun. All right. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk about... Well, we're going to talk about you. So let's come back. <laughs>